Alright, today we are in week three of our series, Annoying People, and we're learning how to deal with those people who, who uh, some people call them uh, like heavenly sandpaper. You know, they kind of rub the, kind of help sand the rough edges off of you, and, and uh, you know, we all have people like that in our life, and we're going to start out looking today at Matthew chapter 16, out of a story there, out of Matthew chapter 16. Next week, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the topic that will probably be the most controversial of the, of the series, and that is we'll be looking at the hypocrite, and that could be fun. That could be fun to, fun, fun to do, but today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how to deal with those people who manipulate, who try to control us and control other people. And I heard a story once about, uh, it's, not, it's not a true story, I just want to tell you that right up front. It's about St. Peter, and he was in heaven, and he was at his post. He was guarding the entrance into heaven or manning the post of the entrance into heaven. And on this particular day, he was in charge of all the men who were coming into heaven. And, and there, were, there were two doors, and over each door there, were, there was a banner over each door. And the first banner said, For all the men who were controlled by their wives. Now the line for that door was long. It was back as far as you could see. The other door had the banner that said, for men who were not controlled by their wives. And there was one lonely guy standing there at this, at this door. And so St. Peter went up to him and said, Sir, with all due respect, why are you standing at this door that says, for men not controlled by their wives? And the guy kind of looked at him confused and he said, I don't know. My wife just told me to stand here. <laughs> I'm glad you women laughed at that. <laughs> Thank you. It, makes, it takes a little stress off. <laughs> now, in order for us to learn about the manipulative people in our life, what we're going to do right up front is we're going to look at three examples from the Bible of people who were manipulative. And that's kind of a hard word to say, and i got to say it a bunch today, so... Forgive me if, if I get tongue-tied on that, but, but we're going to look at these three, these, these three manipulative people, and this will kind of help lay the groundwork for us so we can see as, as we get into to it. And the first one is in Genesis chapter 25, and this is where Jacob manipulated Esau. And here, here's what happened in this story. i got the Bible references there on your listening guide. You can read the story when, when you get home. But, but here's what happened with this. Is Jacob and Esau, they were brothers. And even though they were brothers, they were different, you know, how, how siblings can be a lot of times. And Esau was more of an outdoorsy type, and he liked being outside, and Jacob liked staying home in the tent and doing tent things, you know, do, <laughs> doing tent duties. And so this one particular day, Esau had been out working outside, been out hunting, been out doing outdoor stuff, and, and, and he came home, came back to, to the home, and, and he was starving. He, he, was, he was so hungry that if he didn't get something to eat right then, he was literally going to die. You know, that's how he felt. He said, I'm going to starve to death, and I'm going to fall over dead right now if I don't get something to eat. Now, lucky for him, Jacob was at home. He was there in the house, and he was fixing this big pot of stew. Esau smelled that. He saw that, and he said, please, brother, give me something to eat. And Jacob... A little light bulb went off in his head. He was Jacob was the second born, 
And so he got this idea, he took advantage of the situation, and he said, I will give you some of this if you give me your birthright. Jacob saw Esau in need, took advantage of him, and really abused him. So he manipulated him. Another example is in Mark chapter 6, where women manipulated Herod. Now, I'm not going to get into all how they were related kind of stuff in this, but Herod, he was throwing this big party, and this young dancer came in for entertainment, and she danced this dance that evidently was you know, really, really, really good dance and did such a good job that King Herod was really impressed by that. And, and he said to her, he said, whatever you want, just ask for it, and I'll, I'll give it to you. And so this young girl went over to her, her mom and said, this is a big opportunity, what should I ask for? And the girl's mom had every reason to not like John the Baptist, to not like Jesus' cousin John the Baptist, because she was living a very sinful lifestyle. And John the Baptist knew that, he pointed it out and made it, made it known to her, so she didn't like him, okay? she didn't like the messenger. All right, so she was upset at him, and so the mom told the daughter to ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. She took advantage of the situation. They took advantage of Herod's statement. And since he didn't want to be, be humiliated in public, they took advantage of it and they manipulated him, and he ended up doing something that he didn't want to do. The third example that I want to mention, and you've probably all heard this one before, and this, this is a good one. I encourage you to go, go read this story about this. But this is where Delilah manipulated Samson. And it's kind of, it's kind of funny, kind of sad at the same time because Samson was too stupid to really do anything about it. But Delilah was continually trying to find out the secret to Samson's strength. Now she was trying to find out why he was so strong. And so he would have fun with her telling her things like, well, if you... You know, telling her things that weren't true, like if you tie me with new rope, you know, my strength will be gone. I won't be able to do that. And so he fell asleep or acted like he was asleep, and she did that. And then the guys came in to arrest him, and he woke up and broke the, broke the ropes. You know, she was doing all kinds of stuff like that. And like I said, he couldn't, he didn't get the picture. I don't know what was going on, but she was always trying to find a secret. Okay, and then Judges chapter 16, verses 15 through 16, she finally resorts to manipulation. And this is on your listening guide. It'll be on the screen up here too. It says there, Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? Does that sound familiar? People use that today, don't they? And it goes on and says, With such nagging, she prodded him day after day. And until he was tired to death. Okay, so it says there that she nagged the life out of him. All right, now if you don't like the NIV version, which is that right there, you can look at the New Living Translation. I have this up there. Yep, New Living Translation says he couldn't stand it any longer. And then, of course, the King James Version, it says she vexed his soul unto death. So what, what it says there, you know, what, what it's saying is she literally, she manipulated him with nagging. Till he couldn't stand it any longer. So how do we deal with these people, respond to manipulators who are so controlling in, in our life? First of all, the thing that will help is to understand the tools of their trade. 
to understand some of the things that they use against us. And the first weapon that they use is threats. Whether it is direct or whether it is implied, they love to threaten. Now at work, it could be something like this. It could be, if you don't do what I ask, then you won't be able to work here. That could be something unethical. If you don't do this, you won't be able to work here. In relationships, it could be, if you don't do this, I'm leaving you. In marriages, sometimes it might somebody might say, if you don't do this, you ain't getting any of that. You know, something along along those lines. In any way, threats they can be manipulative. Okay, they they can be used for manipulation. And people who like to control people, they love to use these threats. Another big weapon that they use is guilt. They like to use guilt. If you really loved me, you would do what I'm asking you to do. Now, I just want to stop right there and say, for those of you who are dating, who are in the dating scene, if somebody says that to you, dump them right there. Get out. Okay, you're much better than that. You deserve better than that. Okay, so dump them right then. Don't, don't take that from them. Or they might say something like, all I've done for you, you won't do this one thing for me. You won't do this, this for me. And then there's the spiritual manipulation that, that comes in that people like to use. And they say things like, you know, if you really love Jesus, you'd be at church eight days a week. No, you'd be there. You'd be, you'd be there all the time. It's guilt. It, 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 that's all it is. It's guilt. And then there's a silent treatment that some people like to use. You know, I'm not going to talk to you right now. The silent treatment. Now, I'm sure we've all had people like this in our lives, or we have them in our life right now, or we will definitely have them in our life at some point in, in the future, these people who try to control us through manipulation. Now, it may be subtle. It may be overt. No, but it will be there. And it could possibly, even this is something that we need to understand, it could even possibly be something that is unintentional. Because this pattern of manipulation is so ingrained in them. Okay, they don't know any better. And so for us, what, what we need to do and what we need to know is how to break this power of manipulation over us that somebody might be trying to control over us. And the good news is, the Bible has some principles for us. The Bible has some principles for us to learn. And so let's, let's go ahead and look at this. The, the first one is we need to recognize when, somewhat, when somebody is trying to control us. We need to recognize the fact when somebody's trying to control us. Now you might you might see that and you might think, well, duh, you know, that's obvious. No, we, we need to do that. But it's sometimes it's not that obvious. Because the person may have grown up just thinking that this kind of behavior is normal. They're used to being controlled. They're used to being manipulated. And some people, they're just used to being a doormat. They're used to be, being walked on like that, being controlled. and say, So they don't even recognize that it's not supposed to be normal. Okay, does that make sense? They, they don't recognize that it's, uh, that it's unhealthy. That it, this is not the best way to do these relationships. And we see a great example of this in Matthew chapter 16. And this is a story between uh, about Jesus and Peter, and Peter was trying to control Jesus. 
He was trying to manipulate him. Now what's going on here is Jesus was telling his disciples what's going to happen. Now what, what is in store? He's saying, you know, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested. This stuff's going to happen to me. I'm going to be killed. And third day I'm going to rise again. And in verse 22 of Matthew 16, we see Peter's reaction to this news. It says there, but Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said. This will never happen to you. Let's, let's notice what Peter did here. Peter took Jesus aside. The first thing he did was he took Peter aside because controllers know if you can isolate a person, you have more power over them than if they are in a group. Now You can control them a little bit better there. Now, there are those people out there who are intentionally looking for people to control. They're intentionally looking for people that they can manipulate. Most likely, though, the people that we have experiences with, that we have to deal with here, it's not those people who are more of the predatory nature. It's not those type of people. But we're dealing with people who they probably really do love us. No, they, they love us deeply. But the only way they know how to relate is through manipulation. Trying to control us. They aren't necessarily trying to hurt us. That's just all they know. So how do, how, how do we deal with that? You know, this is a case with, most likely with Peter here, because we know Peter loved Jesus. Well, we know he loved him. We could, he followed him. We know he loved him. He didn't want to hurt Jesus. But he also didn't want Jesus to do what Jesus came to do. He wanted Jesus to do what Peter wanted Jesus to do. So you see, you see this, the situation here. And the, the first thing that we need to do is recognize when somebody's trying to manipulate us. So the question becomes in here, how do you know when somebody's trying to manipulate you? Well, I want to share with you some ways that I've seen here that... Uh, that will help us recognize this manipulation. And the first one is this. And we I kind of want to say a disclaimer with these at the at the front is and I'll, I'll mention it again, but sometimes the feeling of manipulation and the feeling of guilt can be self-inflicted. Alright, so make sure it's not coming from you, but it is actually coming from the other person. That's what we're talking about today. But the first one is this. You may be being manipulated when you can't say no to a certain person. Okay, when you can't say no to them. When, you, when they ask you to do something, you feel obligated. Okay, you feel obligated to say yes to them. You'd like to say no sometimes. You know that it's not the right thing or the best thing for you, but you just feel like you can't say no to them because of their control over you. That's like you know they have some spell on you that you, you can't say no. If that's the case, you may be being manipulated. You may be under their, con- their, their control. The second time that you may be being manipulated is you always feel guilty around a certain person. You always feel guilty around a certain person. This could be in a marriage. You know, it could be in, in a relationship. You're being controlled. and Especially in a marriage. Okay, like You go out, for instance, you go out with friends. You go out to do something you know, with, with your buddies or your girlfriends. 
And you, know, you just want to go out, but while you're out, the whole time you're out, you're feeling guilty about being out. You feel like you're not being a good spouse. Now, again, this feeling could be self-inflicted, but if the spouse is saying, no, go out and have a good time, go, go out and have fun, I'll just sit here all by myself and ponder my miserable existence, <laughs> chances are you're being manipulated. Alright? You're being manipulated then. Now, um, divorced parents, a lot of times they do this frequently when they're trying to win the exclusive loyalty of their kids through gifts, through manipulation, and all those, those types of things. So, you feel guilty around a certain person. And then the third indicator is that you feel ultimately responsible. And we kind of talked about this last week or, or the week before, that uh, we need to remember Jesus is the Savior, you're not the Savior. All right, Jesus is ultimately, you know, he's, he's in control of that. But when somebody's life is falling apart, what we're talking about here, you know, somebody's life may be falling apart, all these bad things are, are happening to him, you may feel like it's your fault. You may be sitting there thinking, yeah, I, I should have done more. If I would have been there, if I would have done this, if I would have done more, then this wouldn't be going on. If that's you, if that's your thought process, and that's a possible sign there that you are being manipulated. You're being manipulated there. And the fourth thing, and this is very real for a lot of people, is oftentimes you're being manipulated if you compromise your values to please others. And what this is, is you find yourself doing things that you normally wouldn't do in order to make somebody else happy, in order to please somebody else. Now, this could be any number of things, but like I mentioned just a few moments ago, the most common one would be in a dating relationship where somebody finally pulls out the if you love me, you would card. And again, if they pull that card out, throw it back in their face and get out of there. Okay, leave. You deserve much better than, much better than that. Because if you stay there, if you follow along with that, the next thing you know, Somebody compromises their values, they're doing something that is against God's values, and they're trying to please somebody else rather than pleasing God. They're doing the wrong thing rather than doing the right thing. So all these things that we just talked about there, they're indications that you may be allowing yourself to be controlled, to being man manipulated by somebody else. And the place that we have to start with is to recognize that. Okay, we have to recognize that in our life. And the second thing we have to do in your listening guide, and this is hard but it's important, is we have to verbalize. We have to verbalize and we have to show them this is not going to work on me anymore. This may have worked on me in the past, but from this point forward, it's not going to work on me. Okay, I was a doormat, but now I understand the importance of doing what God wants me to do. And then I understand the importance of doing what is right, and I'm not going to compromise on that. I'm going to do what God wants. So we need to verbalize that. Let's go back to the conversation between Jesus and, and Peter in Matthew 16. Now remember, when we left him, Peter was telling Jesus, Jesus, I want you to do this. And Jesus basically says to him, you're not in control of me. You're not in control of me. And verse 23 tells us this. Said, Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. That's pretty brutal words. Okay, but, but he says that. And he says, You're a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. 
So what you do when somebody's trying to control you is you look at them and you say, this is not going to work on me. Then you call them Satan. It's in the Bible. <laughs> now, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend doing that, but you know, this depends on your relationship with them. But what you do, though, you know, the, the things you have to do is verbalize it. Verbalize to them that, that you realize this may have worked in the past, but it's not going to work anymore. Okay, I'm not going to fall for these tricks anymore. And this is very important. This is important for us to understand that. Now, there, there may be some of you here in this room today who or allowing someone to exert their will in your life, to exert control in your life that may not be consistent with God's will. And you know that and you understand that. And this is dangerous for you. And not only just for you, it's dangerous for everybody involved because we all have that circle of influence. And when you think about it, then this is, this might need to ponder on this a little bit today when you leave because it's, you know, it's kind of hard to be... This could be hard to hear, hard to take, but... <coughs> If somebody has control of you in a negative way, on your listening guide, you're committing the sin of idolatry. You're committing the sin of idolatry. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's what God says. When you are allowing somebody else to control you, to bend to their will and not doing God's will, what other word is there for that? You're involved in idolatry. You can never become the person that God wants you to be when you are nothing but a people pleaser. It's impossible to do, so you've got to recognize that. And you've got to show these people in your life, this is not going to work on me anymore. Because it's idolatry. That's why we don't want it in our life. Someone controls you. You cave in. You do it over and over and over again. You're stuck in a form of idolatry. And the only real way to get out of that is to tell them, this isn't going to work on me anymore. Now they will fight you. They will put up a fight. They will argue. They will try even harder to keep you in the old pattern. But... When you reach that point, you have a choice to make. And if you know anything about, you know, my thought process, it all comes down to choices. It all comes down to our response. And this is your choice. When you find yourself in that situation, you either change the situation or you continue to be controlled. Those are your only two choices. Now this takes us right into the third thing that you have to do in dealing with manipulation manipulative people, and that is you have to redefine the relationship. You have to redefine the relationship. And this is exactly what Jesus did with, with Peter. When Peter tried to control Jesus, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Okay, you can't control me. And then Jesus allowed Peter to face the consequences of this. And the consequences is, if you know the story, Jesus, or Peter, he ended up denying Jesus three times on the night of his arrest before his crucifixion. He denied him three times. And so here we have Jesus, after he gave his life on the cross, you know, he rose up from the grave, he, he was risen, 
after all that took place, he reinstated his relationship with Peter. And this is, this is very important. That's why in John chapter 21, verse 16, Jesus, if you read the whole, whole story there, Jesus asked Peter this question three times. And a lot of people think that the reason he asked three times is because Peter denied Jesus three times. So he was giving him you know, the three chances to, to you know, kind of redeem himself in his own mind. And Jesus, he asked Peter this question. This is the third time he asked him. The Bible says Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, who is Peter, said, Do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Now, you'll notice that Jesus, he redefined a relationship. He redefined a relationship here. At first, Peter wanted to be in control of Jesus' destiny. And Jesus said, you can't do that. Okay, that, that's, that's not going to work. If you want to follow me, then I will call the shots. Okay, I'm in charge here. You surrender your life to me and you do my will. And that's what Peter did. So we have to learn to define the relationship. So you see, it's the ultimate goal for Jesus followers to not be driven by what people think, but to be driven by what God thinks. We want to live in God's will. Remember, if you let people control you, what is that? It's idolatry. It's a form of idolatry. As Jesus followers, we serve the one true God. And we serve Him alone. That's why the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, he says, obviously, I'm not trying to be a people pleaser. No, I'm trying to please God. And that should be, you know, that should be our life goal there. He says, if I were still trying to please people, I would not be Christ's servant. Makes sense, doesn't it? We want to please God. We don't want to be a people pleaser. But we want to please God. Now this would be a good time to talk to those of you who are manipulators. And I'm just assuming and you know in this group that we probably have people that fall under that category and now this doesn't mean you're a bad person. If that describes you, this does not mean that you're a bad person. What it means is you're driven by fear. Your life is driven by fear. Because you place your faith in your ability to control the situation and in, in controlling other people. And in reality, that's the worst possible place where you can place your faith. You shouldn't put your faith there. You're driven by fear. And as a result, when things don't work out the way that you want them to work out, what's going to happen? They're going to freak out. You know, you're going to go berserk. You know, thing. Your life's going to fall apart because you know, you're trying to control this and it's not working the way that you think that it should work. And that's because you're a control freak. Don't be a control freak. You cannot please God and control things. The only way that you can please God is by faith. Please God by faith. If you're trying to control things, you're putting your faith in the wrong place. Put your faith in God. Put your faith in God alone. Hand it over to Him. Okay, trust Him. 
And I also want to talk to those of you who may be you may be trying to make things right with God you know, on your own terms. Because really when you think about it, there's so much manipulation of God going on these days in our culture. Trying to get God to fit into our mold. To accept the things that we think He should accept. When the Bible says very differently. We take our opinions and we try to impose these things upon God. And in our culture, what we do is we allow ourselves to become desensitized to all the sin around us and what the Bible says about it. And that's forcing our opinions on, on that. And if we do something wrong in our own life, a lot of times what we do, and you know, I know people like this, we do something wrong, we try to balance that out by doing something good. God did this, maybe if I do this thing over here, it'll kind of help balance the scales there. You know, Surely if I do that, that'll make me right with God. And the problem is with that kind of thinking is it's not true. Okay, it's just not true. A lot of people, what they'll do is they'll try to go to church or they'll try to do some... Uh, extra religious things, you know, whatever that might be, or they might give some extra money, or they might just try to be nice to somebody at the store, or they might just say some certain prayers, and then they think, you know, if I do enough good things, that'll make up for all the bad stuff in my life, then I'll be right with God. But the Bible tells us, in no uncertain terms, the way that we are made right with God is by His grace through faith. The Bible says it is never, ever by good works. And the reason for that is so none of us can brag about it. I mean, can you imagine what heaven would be like if we all get up there and we can brag about what we did to get there? I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to be there. <laughs> that would be, that'd be pretty unbearable. We are made right by God's grace through faith. If there was another way, there's another way for us to be made right, if we could have worked our way to God by doing good things, there would have been no reason for God to come to this earth in the form of Jesus Christ. There would have been no reason for Jesus to take all the sins of the world on His shoulders and shed His innocent blood on the cross. There would have been no reason for Jesus to be raised up from the grave on the, on the third day. But the reason all that had to take place is because God is a God of love. And God is a God of justice. And our sin, which we all in here, we're all pretty smart, aren't we? We know there's sin in our life. You know, None of us is perfect. Our sin needed to be dealt with. It needed to be dealt with by an eternal sacrifice. A perfect sacrifice through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. And He shed His innocent blood so that we could be forgiven. And the Bible assures us if we call out on His name, if we accept that in faith, accept Jesus as our Savior, that we will be forgiven. Not because of what we have done, not because of who we are, but because of what Jesus has done. Because of what God has done. And so you call on Him as Lord. 
Now what this means is, he's first. Okay, he's the Savior who forgives you through his resurrection. He gives us power to live life today. Gives us power to do all this stuff, to deal with these kind of people in our life. And he leads us. It's no longer about our plans, it's about God's plans. It's no longer about our will, but it's about God's will. It's about Him. All that's made possible through Jesus and His death on the cross and His resurrection. And so each, each week here, what we do at, at Real Life is we take communion. Some churches call it the Lord's Supper, but we do it on a weekly basis here. And we do this to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And we, if you've stepped across the line, if you have Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, you're more than welcome to take part in this communion because we're all one big family. Okay, you don't, you don't have to be a partner here at Real Life. We just want to make it available to you. If you don't want to take it, that's fine too. You can just wave it on and, and we won't think, think any differently, but we just want to make it available to you. When we take this, now, as I always say, it's kind of a spiritual readjustment, spiritual recalibration for us to help us to remind us what is important in life, what is ultimately important. And so we do this on a weekly basis to remember Jesus' sacrifice for us. And I just encourage you, when you take it, take it in remembrance of Him. Use this as a time to commune with Him. To maybe talk with Him, pray with Him, see if there's anything in your life that needs to be changed. Ask for forgiveness. You know, ask for His will to be done in your life. But just take this in remembrance of Him. And then after that, the offering bag will go by and it will be a good time for you to put in your blue PR sheet and any gifts and offerings that you have today. Alright, let's pray.